Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be going first to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and then we're going to be going to John chapter 8 after that. The title to my message this morning is The Bible, History, and Me. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn this morning about the Bible, history, and then we're going to take a look at us. Okay? Are you ready? Okay? All right. Well, let me catch you up on what's happening uh, in 1 Samuel 24. Before I do that, let me just tell you where we're going. i like for you to know where we're going before we get there because we're going to use the Bible, we're going to use history, and we're going to take a look at us, and we're going to answer the questions this morning. What do you do when fighting won't fix it and dying won't change it? What do you do when? What in the world do you do when fighting won't fix it and when dying won't change it? Well, the first of our two Bible stories this morning centers around a time in the life of David when he was running from King Saul. As a young boy, David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king of Israel. I mean, the anointing of God came on him, and, and, and David poured the oil on him, and, and God was there. It was an awesome moment. Little David was just a shepherd boy. He was in obscurity. He was nothing special outside of the fact that he had the Spirit of God on him. You see, he was the last in a long line of brothers and they didn't think very much about him. He was the smallest. The Bible called him Ruddy, whatever Ruddy is. I don't know what that is, but that, that you know, he was, uh, you know, he was just, uh, you know, he was a runt. Okay? He was small. He wasn't very loud. And his daddy sent him out into the back part of the desert to be with the sheep because the prophet was coming to daddy's house. Daddy didn't even invite him. And when the prophet had looked over all of others, Jesse's sons, the prophet said, are you sure you don't have one more son? Because I don't see the man I'm looking for here among these. He said, well, I've got one more, but he's just, you know, he's just a runt. And he's out there on the backside of the desert with a few sheep. He said, well, go and get him. Man, Samuel saw him and the Spirit of God spoke to Samuel and said, don't look on him like you're a man because I don't see how men look. I see how I look, okay? Don't, you know, uh, you don't understand, God said, how I look. I look at the heart. I'm not looking at how tall he is. I'm looking at how strong he is. I'm not looking at anything else about him but his heart. He is a man after my heart. God said, pour the oil on him. And man, he, he was anointed to be king. But... That didn't cause his problems to stop right there. I mean, he was a man of destiny. David could play the harp and, and demons would run and flee, the Bible says. Also, the Bible says that David was very cunning and wise in leading troops. And even though he may not have been real big, you know, he, he killed Goliath because of his heart. And then as well, 
He became captain over the armies of Israel and they began to sing songs about him that David has killed tens of thousands of the Philistines and Saul has only killed thousands and David has killed 10,000. Well, Saul got a little bit jealous and decided, I'm going to kill David. If I don't kill him, he's going to take my throne. And so he, in this process, David begins to run from Saul. David knew that fighting Saul was not going to work, okay? That was not God's will for David to fight Saul. And neither was it God's will for David for David just to give up and quit and let Saul kill him, okay? Neither one of those was going to work to fulfill the calling and the purpose that David felt. So David ran for years. I mean, it cost David. David suffered a lot of injustices at the hands of King Saul, King Saul took David's wife away from him and gave her to another man. King Saul was the one that pursued David's relentlessly, uh, David relentlessly trying to kill him and even made David's family, his mom and dad, become homeless and have to run around. I'm talking about it was terrible. And so David would hide different places. Well, one day, news came to Saul that David was hiding at the caves of En Gedi. Now, some of you have been to En Gedi with me, okay? In fact, uh, probably a good number of you. We've, we, we've gone so many times. That's one of my favorite places. It's like an oasis in the middle of a desert. There in the Judean desert coming from Jerusalem, just before it drops off of a cliff into the Dead Sea, there is a, there's a, a, a canyon is what it looks like. You go back up in there, and there are the caves of En Gedi. There in the midst of that desert... There are waterfalls. The rain that falls on Jerusalem, I'm told by archaeologists that it takes 40 years for that rain that falls on Jerusalem to finally pour out there at the caves of En Gedi. There are pools there. We go there and swim in the middle of that desert. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's so lush. There are a lot of animals there. There are goats and there are deer and there's rock badgers and all kinds of animals there. You know, if you haven't gone with me, go with me sometime. It's amazing. Well, David and, 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 and his army were hiding in those caves. And Saul heard they were down there, so he went down there looking for them. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that Saul came to the place where he needed to relieve himself. He needed to use the restroom. Okay? I don't know why the Bible did just say that, but it did. <laughs> and so he gets off of his horse. He crosses over this stream. There's a stream. And then he goes into the cave to relieve himself out of the, the sight of his soldiers and his men. Wouldn't you know it? He goes right into the cave where David and some of his mighty men were hiding farther back in the cave. So they were back there in the cave and all of a sudden King Saul comes in. And they say to King Saul, uh, uh, rather his, his mighty men, David's mighty men, say to David, look, 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 it's King Saul. It's your enemy. It's this guy. He's standing between you and you being king. He's standing between you and the purpose of God for your life. He's standing between you and the promise of God. Oh, you need to kill him. Look, 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 look. Well, that's where we pick up on this story in 1 Samuel 24, in verse 10. Look. This day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand. <laughs> Look, King Saul. Here David's men were saying, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. 
David said, no, I can't. I can't. So I'll just cut off a piece of the robe that he took off and laid down. So when Saul goes back out, David goes out with that piece of robe because the Bible said David's heart smote him. He had a heart after God. David's heart smote him and he went out with that and he said, I could have killed you. Look, king, look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, moreover, David said this to him, I have not sinned against you, king, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Here David is saying to Saul, he's saying, God put you here today, and I could have killed you. But I want you to look and realize that I am not out to kill you. I know that my victory is not in my enemy's defeat. My victory is in God. And here I could have killed you and people wanted me to, but I didn't. You see, fighting is not going to fix it. Fighting is not going to make me the man of God that God wants me to be. Fighting is not going to bring the purpose of God to my life. Fighting, you know, you're not the one standing between me and destiny. Fighting won't fix it and neither will me just letting you kill me. Neither will me just giving up. That's not going to fix it either. David understood something. He realized that victory would come from him doing the right thing. From David living his best life for God. In every circumstance, in every situation. He knew that fighting was not going to fix it. And he knew dying wouldn't change it. He had to live right. He had to live his life right. The real battle that David was facing was the battle inside of him. David had to first win the battle that was ongoing within himself. What was the battle inside David? What was David wrestling with? David was wrestling not with Saul, but wrestling with himself. David was wrestling with trusting God for the outcome. Putting my life, putting my situation, putting my destiny in God's hands and trusting that he will take care of it. Whew, that's what you wrestle with. You wrestle with is, is God big enough to take care of me? Is God big enough to trust you know, this too? Can I trust God with this? Fighting wouldn't fix it. Dying wouldn't change it. He simply had to trust God with the outcome. Look with me in John, the eighth chapter, for our next Bible story. This is the account of a woman who was caught in the middle. Some men, they didn't like Jesus. They were religious zealots. 
And they couldn't stand the fact that Jesus was getting so many people to follow him. They wanted to try to find some way to bring Jesus down a notch, some, something to accuse him of. And so they went out and found this woman in John the 8th chapter, this woman who was in adultery. She was taken in the very act of adultery, and she was brought to Jesus. Now, believe me that this was not about this woman. This was about Jesus. This had nothing to do with this woman. These men did not care one thing about this woman. They would have taken her out and stoned her, or they would have let her go. They didn't care. They didn't care about her. It wasn't about her. She was just the convenient victim of their wicked plans. Sometimes you will become a convenient victim to someone else's wicked or evil plans or someone else's pur purposes. You see, they didn't care about her. They didn't care about the adultery. They didn't care about the guy that she was committing adultery with. They were only looking for a way to get back at Jesus. Sometimes it seems like the devil is trying to hurt you, but you're just a convenient victim. He'd use anybody to get to Father God. He'd use anything trying to destroy the Word of God. He'd use anything trying to destroy the church. Don't, don't imagine that it's all about you because it's not. It was not all about her. Thankfully, she is still telling a story 2,000 years later. This was a woman with purpose. This was a woman that even though she appeared to be the convenient victim of men with evil plans, yet she also had a purpose given to her by God. She was chosen by Almighty God to tell a story of the Word of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. She is a woman that was chosen by God that still today is preaching. Even from this pulpit, she's still telling her story. She was a woman of destiny, Amen. caught in a moment of sin as we all have sinned. It does not take away from us our purpose. It does not take away from us our destiny. It does not take away from us our usefulness to God. Don't mistake someone making you a convenient victim as though God were against you. He's not. People will use other people trying to prove a point, trying to get to the point that they want. They will use one after another. They could have used anybody. They would have gladly killed her, but their problem didn't have anything to do with her. She was just the latest in a long line of convenient victims, and there would be more. They would find other people trying to trick Jesus with other people as well. This woman taken in the very act of adultery was brought into the temple and there she was brought to Jesus and, 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 and there put before Jesus and, and Jesus was asked by these men. They said, this woman is taken in adultery and the law of Moses demands that we take her outside the city and we stone her to death. But what do you say, Jesus? Well, Jesus just bent down and he began riding in the sand. They wouldn't leave him alone. They just kept on. Well, what do you think? Should we stone her? Should we not stone her? Jesus looked up and he said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Well, 
conviction began to fall upon them as Jesus bent down and began to write again in the sand with his finger. And, and there as he's writing in the dirt, uh, we don't know what he was writing. Some preachers have said he was writing the names of the women that they committed adultery with. I don't know. Maybe. He could have been writing the blessings, reminding them of how good and merciful God was and the times that God had forgiven them. We don't know what he was writing, but we do know that something began to happen. The Holy Spirit began to convict these men of their own sins and of the sin of being here and accusing this woman. And there the Bible says they began to leave one at a time from the oldest to the youngest. Jesus was left alone with this woman. In verse 10 of John 8 when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say it's okay. He said, Just don't do it again. But you need to go on and live your life. And this woman, for the last 2,000 years, has been giving us her testimony. I am fully convinced, although I can't read it or show it in the Scripture, that this woman, having received the mercy, the Bible says, to whom much is forgiven, that person loves much. And her, in love with what God had done through Jesus for her, no doubt she went out and changed her life. God knew what was in her heart. He was not there to condemn her, but he was there to Set her free. Everyone had their opinions about this woman, and some of their opinions were right. You know, everybody's got an opinion about you, and some of them are right. Not everybody likes you, and they point to reasons why, and some of them are absolutely right. But that's beside the point. They might make a convenient victim out of you. But it's their problem, not yours. They might misuse you. They might curse you. They might provide you some injustice. They might betray you. They might abuse you. But it's their problem, not yours. There was nothing that this woman could do to change her past, and there was nothing she could do to change what was going on in that moment in her life. No more than David could change what was going on in his life. She knew that fighting against them was not going to fix it. You know, she could have slapped them. She could have cursed them. She could have scratched them. You know, she could have, she could have done a lot of things, but, you know, it would have only made it worse. They might have bypassed Jesus and took her right out there and stoned her. Fighting was not going to fix this. And neither was her giving up and quitting. Neither was her just to being silent and just being drug out and being stoned. That wasn't going to help her either. You see, God was looking at her heart like he was looking at David's heart, like he's looking at your heart, like he's looking at the hearts of those today that we will meet in, in their stores and in the marketplaces and the restaurants. He's looking at their heart. He's not looking like you see. He's looking differently. Don't make someone your convenient victim today. Don't make someone else a convenient victim of your road rage. It's your problem, not theirs. 
Boy, I'm preaching now, aren't I? <laughs> Don't make some poor waitress a convenient victim of your inability to embrace patience and grow the fruit of godliness in your life. Kindness. I expect a little tip sharing over that. Thank you. She could have fought or she could have given up. But fighting wouldn't fix it and dying wouldn't change it. She needed to find mercy. She needed something to change in her life. She needed something. She, she needed something to hold on to to help her take another step in life. She needed mercy. She needed forgiveness. She needed grace. She needed a chance. She needed to find a, a way to get to a better place in life. And Jesus gave her that way. She needed to find a way to live above the insults and the opinions of others because those insults and those opinions were going to keep coming for a long time. Everybody knew. This was a public you know, display. Everybody knew. She needed a way to live above the insults, above the opinions of others. Not to allow her situation to dictate her future. She found her victory in Jesus. She got up and went back home, and I believe that she lived in the light of what Jesus did for her. That's certainly the only life she had. Go your way and sin no more, he said. He didn't say it's okay. He said, don't do it anymore. He shared his love and his mercy. And she didn't give up. She got up. And when she did, Jesus told everybody. You know, we'll read it in a moment. But he said, I am the light. If you'll just walk in me. Just walk. Just walk pleasing me. What she needed to do was find a way to win the battle in her own mind and to trust God with the outcome. We've had two Bible stories. Now we're going to have a little history lesson. Uh, you know, there have been no more stories added to the Bible in 2,000 years. But that's okay. That's the way it should be. Even though I know in heaven records are being kept. And your name is somewhere in heaven. My name's somewhere in heaven. And then telling about things that God hoped for me. And things I went through. And, and things I encountered. And things you encountered. And how the devil wanted to take you out. And how people weren't kind to you. And how you might have been a victim. But what you did when you met Jesus. And overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of your testimony. That's being written in heaven. And one day we will get to see that account. But on earth, we don't have any more stories added to the Bible in the last 2,000 years. But we are not without history. Our history shows in the last 2,000 years how people have walked and talked with God and what he did to intervene in their life and what he saw in their heart and how he helped them. In fact, you are a history maker today. You are making history today. We have added knowledge 
through historical accounts of people who experienced life and who lived and trusted the principles of God. I have stories, you have stories from my family of of how God interacted with my family to make sure that I was here today. History is an important picture of life. And when we overlook history, we overlook life. The American Revolutionary War ended 236 years ago. It was in September. The year was 1783. Wow. Can you think back that far? 1783. The American Revolutionary War ended. In that same year, there was a family that was living in Cape May, New Jersey. And they had a little girl. And they named her Jarena. She was raised in some of the most exciting times in America. George Washington became the president of the new United States of America when she was just five years old. Wow. Men like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, they walked the streets of Philadelphia, New Jersey, and there from Independence Hall, they led this new nation. Right there in Philadelphia, right there where Jarena spent most of her life. These men and this hall, Independence Hall, what history. Now, this is the same hall that witnessed the signing of the Declaration of Independence. This is that same hall where the first U.S. Supreme Court sat. Only one justice named John Jay, and he sat there defending the citizens of the United States against governmental intrusion according to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. What a guy, John Jay. Just a few yards from Independence Hall, right there beside Independence Square, if you've been to Philadelphia and walked those streets, you know that the Liberty Bell hangs there. (laughs) Yeah. It was commissioned by the city of Philadelphia in the year 1751. Oh. Amazing. The first time it was rang, it cracked. Had to be recasted. Isn't it amazing? The Liberty Bell. I mean, can you imagine walking these streets? Can you imagine? I mean, oh my goodness. Every time I go to Philadelphia and I visit Independence Hall and I, and I see all this and I, and I walk through that square and I sit down and I just, I just take it I, I walk past the graves of Benjamin Franklin. And, you know, I mean, every time I do, uh, chills run up and down my spine realizing what went on in that place and what happened as a result of this and how these men and women of God gave themselves to the will and the heart of God, how they lived a life and pledged their, their honors, their, you know, their, their, their sacred honors, their fortune, their lives. I can't imagine what Jarena must have felt. Walking those streets past those people who were living there and, and, and molding this nation. Oh, she was walking among perhaps some of the greatest men who have ever lived. Amazing. Her heart was so full She was born for purpose. She was a woman of destiny. 
Jarena Lee was born a free black American woman during the most exciting yet the most tumultuous times of our nation. It was in the infancy of our great republic that she was raised by parents who did not have any consciousness of God and they taught her nothing about God. As a very young lady, just a very young teenager, you can read her journals, but she hired herself out and moved, hired herself out to be a house servant in Philadelphia. Among all that greatness, she must have felt like this purpose, this, this feeling in her heart was never going to come to pass. She must have felt so insignificant because her journals tell of her contemplating suicide so many times and how she would doing her work as a hired house servant a young lady how she would consider and fantasize is what she actually said she fantasized about drowning herself over and over and over again she must have felt so insignificant surrounded by all this greatness However, in her early 20s, in the midst of very difficult moments in her life, would you believe it? Someone had the audacity to invite her to church. Are you serious? Yeah. And Jarena said, why not? So she went to church. Such a foreign thing for her to do. She went to the African Episcopal Methodist Church in Philadelphia. That's right, African Episcopal Methodist Church in Philadelphia. Pastored by Pastor uh, and the, the Reverend Richard Allen. And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit came on her. And she got gloriously saved. And I mean, she just kept on coming back and couldn't get enough of it. And one day, one day after her conversion, she was touched by God. And she began testifying and exhorting and she began encouraging others to repent of their sins and people began to follow her leadership and 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 then wouldn't you know it just sometime after that she heard a voice and the voice said to her Jarena <laughs> I've called you to preach she heard the voice uh, speak to her and say preach the gospel do you know she thought it was the devil that's what she thought. She thought, that's got to be the devil because that's not even possible. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I'm going to preach the gospel? No, uh, no. That's not even possible. She imagined it was the devil. And so she went to her pastor and she said, listen, I heard a voice tell me to preach the gospel. I don't know what it's about. He said, well, I don't even know if that's possible. Our denomination does not recognize women preachers, and I'm not even sure it's scriptural. So we can't even do it, and I don't know anybody else that's doing it, and so it probably ain't going to happen at all. She still felt a calling on the inside of her, and she wanted to have something to do with, 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 with helping Jesus because he had saved her soul and, and brought her out, such, out, out of such a pit. 
She was in despair, and now she was full of the Holy Spirit. She married a young preacher named Robert Lee. And they moved six miles out of Philadelphia to Snow Hill. She didn't know anybody out there, and it was hard and tough, but she was serving the Lord. And her husband told her, listen, you need to let that preaching idea go because you're a woman, and women don't preach. So she let it go, even though it was still stirring on the inside of her. In the year 1815, she was 32 years old. She had two kids, and her husband suddenly died. Left her with two children at 32 years old, and she moved back into town. She started going back to Reverend Allen's church. And Reverend Allen had just been promoted to be the bishop of his whole denomination. And one night while they were having church, I mean the Holy Ghost came on Jerina and she began to preach. She began to speak and exhort and teach. And she filled the whole, and people just began to get saved and begin to repent. And revival broke out right there in Bishop Allen's church. He stopped everything and came to the pulpit and said, I got to repent because she has been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now as bishop of the denomination, I'm saying we believe it and we're going to do it because we experienced it. And he had ordained her and released her into the ministry. Wow. Man, there was nowhere she wouldn't go. There was no one that she wouldn't preach the word of God to. And over the next many years, she became known far and wide for her powerful preaching and her missionary work and the things that she would do to travel great distances to get the opportunity to share the word of God. She was hindered by both her color and her gender, but she didn't let that stop her because she was empowered by the Holy Spirit. She preached, and when she did, the conviction of God would fall on saints and sinners alike. You know, she didn't fight, and she didn't give up. She didn't kill herself, and she didn't rebel against her husband or her denomination. She just lived her best life for Christ every day, day in and day out, with every decision, with every minute, with every day, with every opportunity. She just lived a fully committed life to Christ. She blossomed wherever she was, and she did her best. In the year 1827, at 44 years old, and she was not even in good health, she traveled 2,325 miles and she delivered a total of 178 sermons that year calling sinners to repentance and calling a new nation to righteousness. My goodness, that's three and a half sermons every week. And she would travel from 50 to 100 miles between places to preach and she had to walk most of those places. Good weather and bad carrying the banner of Christ and preaching righteousness. Jerina Lee stands tall as one of the founding mothers of Christianity in American history. When I recount the awesome history and heritage of our great nation, I look at Jerina Lee. I see her life choices. 
I see your sacrifices. I see your contributions. These things can only be understood in light of the living commitment that she had to Christ. God saw her, a woman born with purpose. She knew that fighting against the injustice would not fix it. And she understood that dying under the hand of injustice would not fix it. She knew that she had to stand and lift up her voice and live a fully committed life to Christ. And Almighty God could be trusted with the outcome. She trusted her God. She won the battle that raged in her mind. She didn't fight for her country. She didn't die for her country. But she lived for her king. She went to her heavenly reward at 81 years old. Having this testimony. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. She lived a fully committed life to Christ. I have come to realize from the Bible stories and from history that when fighting won't fix it and dying won't change it, victory demands a living commitment to Christ. This morning, our title of this message was The Bible, History, and Me. Let's focus on us for just a moment. Perhaps you, like David, are in an insignificant place. Maybe your heart is filled with what God has called you and purposed you to be, but yet it looks like there's no way it can happen. Maybe you even have enemies pursuing you, and it looks as though that, that there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe you're in a circumstance or a situation where, where doors have closed that you thought God was going to use. Maybe like the young woman, maybe everybody's opinion about you is accurate. Maybe you have sinned. Maybe you have fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you deserve to be stoned. But yet there's something on the inside of you that feels purpose and feels destiny. And what you need is another chance, a chance to be what you know you can be. Or perhaps like Jarena Lee. Maybe you have felt the injustice and the weight of circumstances and situations that are so far beyond your control and yet feel a purpose on the inside. Maybe you have contemplated suicide. Maybe you have felt as though that just quitting would be so much easier than carrying around this yearning for something greater than what you can now see. Success in this life, true peace, unspeakable joy, and life eternal awaits those who put their trust in Jesus. But not only must we, must we, must we put our trust in Jesus, we must also be willing to live a fully committed life to Christ. Are you all in? Are you muddling through life 
You see, fighting won't fix it. Dying won't change it. Victory demands living a fully committed life. A living commitment to Christ. We cannot determine what we go through, but we can determine how we're going to go through it. A day at a time, a decision at a time, a step at a time. That's the only way to make it. Trusting God with every step. Because one day, my testimony will read, and he died. But that's not today. Today, my testimony will read, and he lived a fully committed life to Christ. Not fighting and not giving up. Trusting God for the outcome. You see, when Jesus spoke to that young lady and lifted her up and told her, go and sin no more, Jesus then turned. The next verse, verse 12, this is what he said to everyone. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's what that woman needed. That's what Jorina Lee needed. And that's what we need. We need a light leading us through life. You'll find that light in Christ Jesus.